The Joy FM Sports presents The Sweet Spot with Corey Bradley. Welcome to The Sweet Spot. I'm your host, Corey Bradley. Thank you for joining us again this week as we bring this sports episode to you. First of all, congratulations to the Wiregrass Kings boys basketball team. I had Caleb Miller and Hunter Nunley on the show last week, and uh, the JB boys, they won the state championship as Will Holland was named tournament MVP uh, as they beat Evangel 50-38. to And then the varsity boys team, uh, one as well, 63 to 61 over Evangel, where Caleb Miller was named tournament MVP for the varsity boys. And uh, for the all tournament team, it was James Strickland and Caleb Miller that were named to, uh, to, for that recognition for that award. And then you had Caleb Miller, Nolan Perry, and James Strickland were named to the all conference team. And Nolan Perry won the Doug Harrison Christian Character Award for the conference as well. And, you know, like so I was talking about. The JV boys, as Will Holland was named tournament MVP, well, he and Kane Helder were also named to the all-tournament team for the JV boys for the Wiregrass Kings. And so, just to, first of all, just a huge congratulations to that entire Wiregrass Kings program as uh, they've had an amazing season, bringing home first state titles uh, back for that Wiregrass Kings basketball program. So, congratulations to them. So, for today's show... Uh, you know, this is really basketball season now. We're we're right smack dab in the middle of basketball season starting to pick up with NBA and college and you got March Madness around the corner. So later in the show, I'm going to talk about some of the SEC freshmen that have it's kind of caught my eye this year and that I look forward to watching whenever I get a chance to see them play. But first of all, we're going to talk about this new term in the NBA, this whole load management deal. This is something that's really uh, come about in the NBA circles over the last few years. And so this is something where a player doesn't play because they're trying to rest them for later in the season when the playoff starts. And it, sometimes it could be the teams doing it. Sometimes it could be the players doing. And so when I think about this term load management, the one player that comes to mind is Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard went to San Diego State. He was a first-round pick by San Antonio Spurs. I believe it was the 2011 NBA draft. Uh, You know, he kind of made – the Spurs kind of made him to who he is now. I mean, not take away his hard work and what he's done, but, you know, they they kind of passed the torch to him with Tim Duncan and Ginobili and Tony Parker. They really started to give him the torch and be like, hey, this is your team. This is your Spurs team. When we retire – we know you're in good. We're in good hands because you're going to be the leader of this franchise. So that all kind of fell apart in the 2017, 2018 year, where uh, Kawhi Leonard had this quad injury, quad injury, I should say, that only and he only played nine games during the entire season. So it was talks of him being out until January. So when January came about, the Spurs doctors, their team, their staff, they were like, "Okay, you're cleared to play. You're good." You know. uh, there's no more setbacks. You're you're 100. percent Well, he for whatever reason didn't trust that staff and went and got his own team, his own team of doctors. And apparently, his doctors were saying that he wasn't fully healthy. Uh, and so there was a lot of kind of back and forth of 
Like, are you healthy? Are you, what's going on? Like, you've been cleared. Why are you not playing? Why are you not even traveling with the team? I mean, it got to the point where Tony Parker, who will be a Hall of Fame point guard eventually for the Spurs, who won a total of four championships with San Antonio, uh, he suffered energy. Uh, I keep saying energy, but injury the year before uh, in the playoffs, and he was saying that his injury was a hundred times worse than what Kawhi is going through, and that think that was like the final straw where you knew. The players in their franchise, they, they had enough with Kawhi not being there and being cleared, and he's still not, um, so to speak, you know, ready to play. But uh, So that, to me, was like the, the final straw where it broke the camel's back. Tony Parker come out saying what he said, and, and he came back a lot sooner than people expected him to, and he was saying, my injury was 100 times worse than what Kawhi is going through. So uh, Kawhi Leonard... That year, where he only played a total of nine games, I had people in the media, they're talking about, okay, it's the Spurs, They uh, are they, uh, did the teams misdiagnose his injury? Is he, is it really as bad as, as, it, is, as it seems? And, and it, just, it just felt fishy the whole year. And, and I kept trying to tell people, I was like, this guy does not want to be in San Antonio. Like, he's just trying to manipulate his way out of San Antonio any way he can. There were just rumors at this time starting to come out that he wanted to play in Los Angeles, where he's from. And so he played nine games total that entire season, but he made all of his $19 million. So I feel like when you're cleared to play, doctors can't find anything wrong with you. It's like we're we're scratching our heads trying to figure out what it is. There's nothing else there. When you choose not to play, I think your wallet should take a hit. You know, if you're if you're sitting out, then your money should too, because I think they have to do something to change this whole uh, this this whole load management talk. Like uh, where players are not playing and they're perfectly fine to play. And and I'm and you, you may look at San Antonio and be like, well, years ago they did it with Tony Parker and Tim Duncan and Ginobili. Well, well, those guys were up in age and they were getting ready to you know the last season or two and. Uh, there were times where they would rest throughout the season, but it wasn't like they were missing a bunch of games. Like when Kawhi Leonard was finally traded to the Toronto Raptors that next year uh, after that whole ordeal, he and Danny Green was sent to Toronto. DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl was sent to San Antonio. Well, the Raptors are here taking a chance on a guy who it's the end of his contract. It's the end of Danny Green's contract. So you're basically getting one-year rentals out of these two players, knowing that they'll probably leave for free agency. They took a chance because they're trying to make that next leap. They're trying to compete for an NBA championship. And so that year with Toronto, Kawhi Leonard played only 60 games that year. And it was so it was 22 that he missed. And 14 of those 22 games were load management games where he set out, whether it was – it was his doing. I was about to say it's Toronto, but they basically gave him the choice the choice uh, when to sit out, when not to play, and all that. So 22 games he missed, 14 of them were called what basically load management games where he just chose to sit out. So in that same year, he didn't play a single back-to-back game. And I'm just thinking like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. You're, you're at the peak of your career, and you're – just choosing not to play. And, I, I mean, as a competitor, it just doesn't make any sense that someone would want to sit out when they're perfectly healthy. And I know it's about, you know, playoffs at the end of the day, but if if you're healthy, 
and there's nothing keeping you from being out there, then you should be out there with your team competing just like they are. They go through practice. They get hurt. They have, they're banged up throughout the year. Uh, but this that preferential treatment that these stars receive today that doesn't just start in the NBA and at the professional leagues, but it goes back to middle school. It goes back to high school where these teachers and coaches, they have the star player and they can get away with certain things when other guys can't. And it's, it continues and continues as these guys get older and they continue to expect it. And unfortunately there are franchises that allow them to get away with that when everybody should be held accountable. So like I said, that's Toronto year. He didn't have to play in a single back-to-back uh, game. He had 14 games where there were load management games where he just didn't have to play. And, you know, the Toronto, they got what they wanted. They got the NBA championship out of it. They got that one year with him. He went on to the Clippers, as we know. Danny Green went to the Lakers. But, uh, you know, this whole misconception of San Antonio mistreating their players is something that just – it really it bugged me because – I've been a Spurs fan my whole life. As you know, my uncle Kenya, I grew up watching Spurs games with him. He was a huge Dave Robert, Dave, David Robinson fan, and so I was always watching Spurs basketball with him and talking with him. So that's where my love for San Antonio started at, a, at an early age. And so when Kawhi, that whole ordeal in 2017, 2018, the year before we lost to the Golden State Warriors in the conference finals, that was the year where game one, Spurs up big. Kawhi Leonard takes a jump shot and Zaza Pachulia sticks his foot out and basically it's like a cheap shot. Kawhi comes down on his foot, rolls his ankle really bad. He's out for the rest of the series. San Antonio gets swept by Golden State. And Danny Green said after that series that Kawhi Leonard could have played. like he, he could have played and he wanted to play, but it was Greg Popovich who said, no, I'm not going to let you play. I don't want to risk your career and jeopardize you hurting your ankle even more for a few wins. And so this is a franchise. This is a head coach, Greg Popovich, one of the best to ever do it in the NBA, who's looking out for his players' health before wins and advancing to the NBA Finals. So this whole talk of San Antonio, um, you know, just not treating their players well or not doing what's right by them and their health uh, was is that probably that probably was the part that bothered me most is speaking of a franchise who's done only the right things by their by their guys from start to finish they never did anything that would jeopardize that player's health on and off the court so like I said Kawhi Leonard moving on to the Clippers this whole load management deal where he's done it with the Clippers too and it's like when is this going to stop you know what? At what point will the NBA do something to nip this in the bud? Because it's not a good look for the NBA, where star players are sitting out and sitting out and sitting out, and they're perfectly healthy. If you're hurt, then you're hurt. That's a totally different ball game. And I know you can't really prove when someone's out or or when they're banged up or injured that they can't play, but we know there's certain times where they're basically saying this is a rest day. And so, uh, you know, I think it's just a setting a bad example for the younger student athletes who are coming up, so younger guys who will enter the league and, you know, seeing that entitlement that certain stars get. And like, so Kawhi Leonard is 28 years of age. Like, it's not like, like I mentioned, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Monte Ginobili, they didn't sit out near as much as Kawhi did or as he has. And they were, you know, 36, 37. They were at the very end tail end of their careers and here we are a guy in his prime who is just deciding not to play 
Uh, like I said, I think sticking us a bad look for the NBA is, you know, you're going to have so many younger guys when they get into the league and they're going to be 23, 24 talking about they're tired. And it's like, tired from what? You know, I mean, I know, you know, uh, the schedule can be can be grueling, but this is what you signed up for. You signed an NBA contract to get all this money, but you also had to show up and do your job. I mean, I've worked in, you know, production warehouses and TV stations and retail stores and not one time did I get paid for something I didn't do or for not showing up to work. If I was going to receive a paycheck, I had to show up at work and do a good job. So this, this, this shouldn't be any difference with these NBA players and uh, who feel like they can just sit out and still collect every dime in their contract. Like I mentioned, Kawhi Leonard played nine games during that 2017-2018 season with the Spurs. Nine games, but he got every single penny in that $19 million contract. So the NBA has to figure out a way to correct this issue because it's only going to get worse, I believe. I mean, you have the 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 uh, the channels and the stations who broadcast their games. And it's, you know, three or four. You have ESPN 1 and 2. You got NBA TV, TNT. Those probably like the four stations. ABC, too. So you have about five stations. And they show the same seven NBA teams on those same uh, on those channels. It's the same seven teams. They just play each other. It's uh, So it's you always see the same team, same players on those stations. But, you know, you have guys who are sitting out. You have fans going to the games who are paying these tickets and paying all this money to watch certain guys play, and they're not playing because – it's load management. He's resting because we want to make sure he's okay for the playoffs. Uh, or it's, it's like it's just a bad look when you're trying to watch a broadcast and you see the best player uh, for that team not playing just because of this whole load management ordeal. So this is something that the NBA has to fix. They have to correct it soon because, like I said, if they don't do it here, uh, here in the very probably next season or two, I think it's really going to get out of hand. And you know, you could be looking at a watered down. NBA product as a whole. Now, another guy who I think about when it comes to not playing when they should be playing is Andre Iguodala. Andre Iguodala, he was with the Golden State Warriors, won three titles with them. Well, last summer he was traded to the Memphis Grizzlies, and so he didn't play a single game with the Memphis Grizzlies. They finally traded him last week or two to the Miami Heat right before the trade deadline. And so, you know, it's been talks about, you know, Andre Iguodala didn't want to play in Memphis. And then there's talks about, you know, that Memphis didn't want him to be there. But I mean, even Iguodala came out and said, you know, it wasn't just me. He said it wasn't just me who thought this was the best idea for me to sit out while they found a trade partner. Uh, so for one, it, it, for him saying it, it wasn't just me, uh, indicates that it was him who thought it was best for him not to play there. And then the second part for him to say that it wasn't just him, that it was Memphis too, I think it really started with when he was first traded to Memphis, he probably gave off the vibe or gave off the the rumors through his team, his agents and stuff, that he didn't want to be there. Because Memphis trading for Andre Iguodala and receiving a first-round pick to – help Golden State with their salary cap relief. I believe if Iguodala would have said, hey, I want to be here, I want to play, you know, help change the culture of of, of Memphis's ways as they're trying to rebuild and start uh, this new regime and try to get back into playoff contention because Memphis was number two 
Number two pick drafted Ja Morant. They're starting this whole new real rebuilding process. I think if Iguodala would have went to them from the start and said, hey, I want to be a part of this change, you know, instead of having this mentality of like, okay, I'm coming from NBA champions where we don't lose more than 15 games in a year. I don't want to go to a Memphis uh, team that's going to lose, you know, 35 to 45 games in a year. Um, but if he would have came to the front office in Memphis and said, hey, I, this is what I want to do. Let me be an example uh, for these young guys. Let me do what I have to do to make this team better. I believe Memphis would have been on board and be like, hey, let's do it. Let's 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 get it going. But I think he gave them the impression from the start when they traded for him that he had no interest in being a part of that franchise. Uh, and, you know, now it looks like Memphis didn't want to do anything with him from the start as well. What? Like I said, I think it was started out with Iguodala giving the impression that he did not want to be in Memphis to start with. So now he's with the Miami Heat. I don't know why the Heat traded for him because they were already a really good team. And I don't think acquiring him didn't really do much as far as moving the needle in the Eastern Conference. Like I think they're pretty much still in the same boat. Uh, I think there's other, other guys they could have acquired if they really wanted to climb that ladder in the Eastern Conference to compete for uh, – an Eastern Conference crown this year. But, you know, Iguodala is a solid vet. But, like I said, trading for him, I don't think it really does much for the Miami Heat. And, you know, Iguodala is is 36 years old. So he just basically set out 50 games. And it's like, dude, you're you're not getting any younger. Like, you don't have many games left on the hardwood, especially at a, uh, a helping out a team instead of just being on the roster. Um, so I think at some point he'll probably regret that move, whether it's, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years from now. I think he'll regret sitting out those 50 games. And, you know, you wish you get those games back. I mean, we've we've all gotten older and you think about some of the times when you were younger and, you know, it's like, man, I missed I missed those days. I missed just, you know, I just, just what it would be like to be in that at that age again and play uh, at that level at my peak in my career. So with Andre Iguodala not playing and choosing not to play, like like I said, it just it just bugs me. It just bugs the stew out of me because before I started this show, doing a sweet spot with Corey Bradley, I played every Wednesday with a group of guys here in town. We always play Wednesdays at noon, and I look forward to Wednesdays. I mean, Tuesday nights, I'm you know making sure I eat right and I get enough rest, and I get up Wednesday morning, I'm stretching, getting ready for the game, and um, you know it's just like the competitor in me. It's like I look forward to playing ball, and I want to play my best every time I can, uh, and not just in basketball. Like I'm, I hate losing. You know, it's whether it's taboo with my family or those of you who have who no face ten. I love that game. That's one of our favorite card games growing up. Uh, I just hate losing, and I don't. And lo- losses, you know, they stick with you more than wins do. Wins are more gratifying, and of course, and you know, especially at that moment. But losses stick with you forever. Uh, I mean, I think about even. You know, when I'm just coached a nine and ten year old boys basketball team, and we lost in the semifinals, and I was just like, man, I wish I'd have done this differently. I should have did this. I um, mean, I called my cousin Jeremy uh, that you know that that night, and just kind of venting of just, man, like I, I wish I'd have did this because these are my guys, and I love my guys, and I want to do whatever I can to help them. Uh, but like I said, that's just a competitor in me. Like losses stick with you, and they always stick with you. Now. The blow may soften over time, but you still remember those losses, and you probably can 
illustrate them detail for detail as and no no matter no matter how painful they were. Of course, like I said the ones that hurt the most are the ones uh that you, you you can when you recall them it brings back all the all those emotions, but you know, just think about a guy like Andre Iguodala who chose not to play. It's like what's the competitor in you? What's that spirit in you where you just choose not to play? Kawhi Leonard who I mentioned before too. I just don't get it where you can feel like Okay, I'm not playing. Like, don't you love the game so much where you just want to be around it and you want to play when you know you're perfectly healthy? So that's something that just didn't make sense, and I'll never understand it to this day. Well, Iguodala, you know, kind of manipulating the situation to get to where he wanted to be uh, just doesn't sit well with me. And it, it reminds me of Eli Manning. Like, I've having like Eli Manning ever since he did this coming into the NFL draft where the San Diego Chargers had the first pick. He didn't want to be in San Diego. I mean, so the Chargers drafted him anyway. And then when he got onto the stage with the commissioner, I believe it was Paul Tagliabue at the time. So Eli Manning's up there with his family. He's holding the the Chargers jersey and not wanting to wear it and didn't even put on the hat that they give him on draft day. And I was just like, man, it's just it's it was just sickening to see like you feel like you're that much better than everybody that you don't you can call the shots and you know that's part of that whole manning uh reputation that they that they've created like this is not like we're seeing it from a distance and it's not any truth to it like this is who they are uh archie man and peyton man and eli man and they all have this mentality of uh, kind of a spoiled brat kind of privileged type family and so um you know it didn't sit well with me when he didn't want to be a part of San Diego, and it's like, you know how many people would love to be in your position and just be a part of an NFL team, and here you are, hadn't even played a single snap, and you're trying to dictate where you go before you even sign an NFL contract. And so, like, he ended up being traded to the Giants, as we know. Uh, Phillip Rivers went to the Chargers instead. Eli Manning did win two Super Bowls. He had two great postseason runs where they beat the Patriots, but Overall, he was really just an average quarterback, and uh, he'll probably get into the Hall of Fame like so just from two Super Bowl wins and his last name, but to me, he's not a Hall of Fame quarterback whatsoever. But this whole Andre Iguodala situation took me back to Eli Manning. It also took me to Steve Francis, who, talking about the Grizzlies, he was drafted by the Vancouver Grizzlies when the team was uh, located there in Canada. He was drafted by the Grizzlies there, did not want to be a part of that franchise, was traded to Houston instead, and it's, I'm just thinking, like, you're getting a chance to play a professional sport at the highest level, making millions of dollars, and you haven't even played a game, and you don't want to go to a certain city or a certain team. And it's just like, I just don't get where that mentality is. Where where, where does where does this start, you know? Like, where do you get to the point where I just don't want to be here? I don't want to be there. And like, it's a, if it's a toxic environment or you know, a place that's just not good for you, that's a whole other thing. But you haven't even... You haven't even signed a contract with that team. So how can you say, you know, you don't want to be there? You don't even know what they're about. So, uh, like I said, this whole Iguodala thing has rubbed me wrong. Kawhi Leonard, as you can hear in my voice, and people who really know me have heard me speak about Kawhi Leonard and how he basically quit on my spurs, you know, and just keeping it with Eli Manning and all that. I don't know. I just think about athletes, and you have a job to do. You sign a contract. This is what you're responsible for. Everybody has a role to play. Uh, people should be held 
more accountable for their actions. But first of all, you should hold yourself to uh, accountable for your actions because everything starts with you. And so when you have teammates or front office uh, organization members basically allow these things to continue, then you're going to going to continue that cycle, whether it's with that player or, you know, players to come later in the future. Now, when we return, we're going to keep this basketball theme as we're, you know, in the thick of things with an NBA and the college basketball season. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Joy FM Sports. It's more than a game. Welcome back to The Sweet Spot. I'm your host, Corey Bradley, as we continue this week's episode. Like I said, it's heavily about basketball. Football's in it. College football's over. NFL's over. So this is basketball. If you don't love basketball, then I'm not sure what you're doing with your free time. But uh, we talked about the whole load management deal in the first segment. Now we're going to talk about SEC freshmen. Uh, Some of the freshmen that stood out this year that I look forward to watching. And you know what I think about freshmen guards in basketball? It takes me back to when I was younger. Like, I've always been a UConn Husky fan and a UCLA Bruins. Those have always been my two schools that I've followed since a kid. And so I remember, you know, just being a youngster in the 90s. It started with Ray Allen. Ray Allen was my guy with UConn. So ever since then, Connecticut's been my favorite team. And with UCLA, it was when they had Toby Bailey and Tyus Edney, Cameron Dollar, the O'Bannon brothers. Uh, that's where my love for UCLA took off in the mid-90s. So UCLA, UConn has always been my two favorite schools that I've watched growing up. And so, like, I know I graduated from Auburn, and, you know, Auburn basketball is really taking off. But when Auburn played UConn a couple years ago, well, they went up to Storage, Connecticut, beat beat UConn in overtime by, like, three. I was like, next year, they, UConn's coming to Auburn. I'm I'm going to be at that game. And so I was there. Me and my cousin Thomas went. I had my UConn shirt on. He had his Auburn shirt on. And in the first seven minutes, he knew, like, this is going to be a long day for for the Huskies. And it was. It was tough to sit and watch Auburn just destroy my Huskies that year. But, um, you know, just UConn and UCLA, that's where it's all started. And I still watch UConn every chance I get. UCLA, not as much just because – Bill Walton does a lot of their games, and I cannot stand him as a broadcaster. Like, his voice is just – he doesn't talk about the game itself. He's talking about everything besides the game. I mean, if you think about Vern Lundquist and how he was for CBS and how people got tired of him, that's how I feel about Bill Walton. Like, he – I just don't know why they allow him to cover all these games with the UCLA Bruins. Maybe it's because that's where he played, and that's – and the deal for him to broadcast the games. But I just wish they would get somebody else, anybody, I don't care who, because when I'm trying to watch UCLA and he's the commentator, I can't watch it. I can only do a few minutes and I'm just, you know, uh, I can't do it. I have to turn have to turn the channel. Maybe I'll have to start muting the games when he's broadcasting and put music on instead. But, you know, you want to hear the the – the, the sounds of the game. You want to hear everything within the game. I just don't want to hear Bill Walton speak. But UCLA, UCLA and UConn is where it all started. And just talking about freshman basketball, I remember when UCLA had 
Darren Collison as the, one of their freshman guards. This was, if you remember, they played against Gonzaga in the Sweet 16, were down by 17 points, uh, scored the last 11 points in that game to come back and beat Gonzaga 73-71. to That was the game where Adam Morrison, the star of the Gonzaga Bulldogs, was on the floor crying after the game, like just stretched out, you know, letting all of his emotion go uh, with that just horrible comeback. Uh, I guess I should say horrible uh, slip for the Gonzaga Bulldogs because I loved every bit of it. I loved that comeback by UCLA. I remember being in Virginia watching that game. It was me, my mom, brother, and sister. We were in Virginia for my mom's job, and, um, you know, it was super cold in Virginia. We are in a hotel that night, and I'm watching my – UCLA Bruins come from behind to to upset and beat Gonzaga and you know but that game was so nerve wracking like I said we were down a lot most of the game like I said down by seventeen by one point but as UCLA started to chip away and get the game's getting tighter the time is winding down Darren Collison was a freshman and I did not want him on the court at all because he made me nervous like just. It just, I don't know, it's something about what he just, I don't know, I can't, I can't even explain it. Maybe it was just his play, and I can't remember exactly what he did, but he looked like a freshman guard out there. And I didn't want anybody uh, that was inexperienced in that situation when you're trying to make that kind of comeback. Uh, you know, when you had guys like Aaron Aflalo was out there and Jordan Farmer and uh, Ryan Hollins was on that Bruins team as well. I believe uh, Luke Bamute, I believe he was on there too. But, um, but, yeah, so Darren Collison made me so nervous during that game. I did not want him in the game in crunch moments. But, you know, a few years after that, uh, he turned into one of the best point guards UCLA, uh, you know, had seen in recent history. And, you know, I was a huge fan of his by the time he left UCLA and carried it over to the NBA. He had a great career. And, you know, he recently retired and was actually – there was talks about him coming out of retirement over the last two weeks with – maybe rejoining the Lakers or the Clippers for this uh, playoff run. But I'm glad that he didn't come out of retirement because if he did, like I said, it would have been with one of the L.A. teams, and I didn't want to see Darren Collison play for one of those one of those squads. But continuing the whole theme of freshmen, you know, UConn, when, when UConn had Kimba Walker as a freshman, I did not like Kimba whatsoever. And, uh, you know, it got to the point, I remember in Final Four playing against Michigan State, Kimba made like a silly foul or did something that he just it just didn't make any sense. And uh, I was just frustrated with Kimba Walker. And I remember being a student at Auburn at the time at my friend John Hester's house. And, and I was just frustrated because I'm like, Kimba should not even be on the court because if Jerome Dyson was healthy, he wouldn't even be playing as much. And so uh, that was tough watching UConn lose the way they did to Michigan State. Michigan State lost in the championship two days later to North Carolina. But, um, you know, that's – with Kemba Walker, like that was it reached like a boiling point with him, and you know a few years later, just kind of like with Darren Collison, Kemba just, you know, he took over. He took over in the Big East and led UConn to, you know, the Big East tournament championship, winning the the title there, and then winning the national title as well, uh, beating uh, Butler that year when Brad Stevens was the head coach there, and Gordon Hay- well Gordon Hayward had just left, so it was Shelvin Mack that was there at the time, but. Like Kimba Walker, that that's when I realized I was too tough on on freshman guards, and I was like, okay, I have to allow them to be freshmen because when you're a freshman guard, you're like a quarterback on the court. You know, we see how 
freshman quarterbacks in football, how you see glimpses, but then you see a lot of mistakes because they're playing at a level they're, they've never played before. They're, uh, the speed is so much different. And so I think point guards are very similar to quarterbacks on the court because they're playing at a new speed. Uh, the game is so much faster. It's, you know, it's a lot more information that they have to digest as they try to set up the offense each trip. They're kind of the, the extension of the coach out there in the court. So that's when I realized when Kimba – had his awesome run with UConn uh, a few years down the road, and now we've seen him to become this all, perennial all-star, one of the best players in the game, top 20, top 25. You know, it, it that was the moment where I realized I was too tough on freshman guards and that I had to give them their grace period and allow them to mature, understanding there would be mistakes, there would be errors, just because this is totally new territory for them. Now, speaking of SEC freshmen, you know, SEC, you know, these days it's all about the one and done. And, you know, we uh, there's one school in particular in the SEC that this is what they do. They thrive on this one and done culture. And, you know, that's Kentucky. And I love Tyrese Maxey. They're freshmen. Like, he is just – he just a, a good ball player. He just makes winning plays, not just necessarily scoring, which he is great at scoring inside and outside, but – also, just 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 making the great basketball plays, and so you know, uh, Kentucky, like I said, they've had this whole one and done culture ever since Cal Cal Perry has taken over in Lexington, and you know, Tyrese Max is like one of my new favorites, and I'm always looking. You know, freshmen always they always get the the talk of the the media with you know being a new man on campus, and he may stay on you know for a year, and he's going to NBA, and so you always I'm always looking for a couple of to keep an eye out for that. Maybe it should stay another year and, and those who I believe could make that leap to the NBA, you know, tomorrow. And so Tyrese Maxey, like I said, this guy from day one and their very, his very first collegiate game against Michigan State, who, who was ranked number one at the time, he scored 26 points in that game and hit the like the game winning or not just a game winning, but the dagger three point, like a deep shot in that game to kind of seal the victory for Kentucky. And, you know, he, so he's a guy I, I look forward to watching whenever Kentucky plays. I'm looking out for Tyrese Maxey to see what he does next. Like I said, he's just a smart ball player that um, I think if he came back for another year, I think that would probably suit him best as opposed to leaving after one year. Um, because if he left now, he'd probably be he'd probably looking a late first-round type pick. But I think if he came back for that second year, you would see a lot of growth in his basketball game. Now, the next freshman I want to talk about, is Trenton Watford for LSU. Now, Trenton Watford is the younger brother of Christian Watford who played at Indiana several years ago. Uh, Christian was a really good player up there in Bloomington. But, you know, Trenton Watford is a very kind of a long athlete. Um, you know, he's a very good finisher around the rim. He can finish with either hand. Uh, like He doesn't wow you with his athleticism, but he just – he's a good finisher around the bucket. And so, uh, like I said, he, he's a guy that I think if he had another year – back in Baton Rouge for another season. I think with more seasoning and working on this game, and I know they talk about it's a weak draft class, but and you'll probably get the guys, a lot of guys leave because of that. But I think Trent and Watford probably would be best coming back for another year. Like If he left, he would probably still fall in that late first round uh, draft status. But I think if he came back for another year, worked on his game, you would see leaps and bounds between this year and next year because he has to work on a perimeter shot if he's going to get um, – if he wants to really elevate his game and take it to another level. Because when you get to the NBA, 
you know, everybody can jump, everybody can run. So you better be able to stretch the floor as a big these days. And so if he can find a way to improve his shot, similar to the way that P.J. Washington did at Kentucky, how he made, you know, just, just huge progression from his freshman year to sophomore year at Kentucky and ended up being a lottery pick for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, I think if Watford came back for another year, worked on his his perimeter game, I think he would possibly go from late first this year to a potential lottery pick in the 2021 NBA draft. Now, the next player I want to talk about is Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards is a uh, you know, star freshman from Georgia. When you look at this guy, you're thinking, like, okay, are you really in college? Because he has an NBA-ready body. Like, he's 6'5", 225, and it's like, are you, are you 18, 19? Like, how are you – it's just amazing sense when you see him. If you hadn't seen him, go check him out. But this guy here is a flat-out scorer. You put the ball in his hands, he's going to light it up. And, you know, certain guys, you don't want to take too many shots, but he's one. He's like, hey, you got the green light, you shoot it whenever. Because, like, now he is a streaky shooter. There's times where he's just not hitting and it's not going his way. But when he does catch fire, watch out because you, you may get burned in the process. So uh, Anthony Edwards, I think, will be a top-five pick hands down when it comes to the NBA draft in June. I think he'll be a, a, a stud in the NBA as well. He's pretty much a 20-point a game scorer from day one once he enters the NBA. So he's a guy that there's no need for him to return for a sophomore season. Go ahead and leave in the NBA draft. As, like I said, he'll be a top-five pick and, and more than likely probably, probably top three when it's all said and done. Now, the next player I'm talking about is Isaac Okoro for Auburn. Uh, man, when you watch him, of course we see that he's super talented. I mean, he's extremely athletic. Uh, you watch an Auburn game, they can't stop talking about Okoro enough. The commentators are talking about he's a first-round draft pick hands down, and that's exactly what he is. He's like a draft pick waiting to happen. Uh, super strong finisher at the goal. I mean, we've seen the dunks that he had against Vanderbilt and against Alabama. It was a coast-to-coast finish where he just took it coast-to-coast. Nobody stopped him and had a nice two-handed slam at the end of that fast break. And so, you know, when you watch it, or at least when I see him, when I watch his game, he doesn't look like a freshman. I mean, he just has a, a mature game a mature approach to his game. Like I said, talking about Kimba Walker and Darren Carlson, you could tell they were freshmen. They just looked nervous. They didn't seem uh, comfortable. But Okoro just has like a, a junior, senior, and upperclassman mindset when he's playing for the Auburn Tigers. And so, you know, he's uh, he's a difference maker for them. As, you know, Auburn just coming off that loss against Missouri on Saturday where they beat Alabama in overtime in that thrilling victory. But he got hurt in that game with the hamstring injury. And, you know, I was telling somebody, I was like, man, this Missouri game is kind of like a trap game. You're coming off a huge, uh, super exciting win over your your state rival in the Alabama Crimson Tide. And now you're playing Saturday on the road in Missouri without Isaac Okoro. And I was like, man, it's going to be tough. I was like, I, I didn't want to say it, but, you know, he knew what I was alluding to. And, you know, of course, Auburn ended up losing that game. So, uh, Isaac Okora has to get healthy. He has to get healthy. He has to, you know, get back to full strength, especially for this tournament run as we're fast approaching uh, March Madness. But, you know, whenever it's a hamstring injury, you do not want to do anything that will jeopardize 
the uh, severity of that injury. So you want to make sure it's fully healthy before you get him back on the court. So, you know, looking forward to whenever Isaac Okoro does return for the Auburn Tigers. Now, this next player is in Tuscaloosa that I really like a lot. love his game, and it's Jaden Shackelford. Like My first time watching him was when they upset Auburn um, in Tuscaloosa, which was Auburn's first loss of the year. That's when I first realized, like, man, this this guy can play. Like, there's one word. When I think about Jaden Shackelford, there's one word that comes to mind, and that's smooth. Like, he's just a smooth guy. Like, he doesn't – he's not super fast. He doesn't really get in a hurry. He, he doesn't really wow you in any way uh, as, you know, with some of the athletes we see today. But he just has this smooth approach to his game. Like, I just – Love watching the play. Yes, it's, he's left-handed. I'm left-handed. You know, you always have that kind of, uh, you know, connection when you see another left-handed shooter who can stroke it. Um, and that's what he – that's who he is. Like, he is a, a flat-out shooter. And when he gets hot, like I said, like, like like I mentioned with Anthony Edwards, just watch out because it's, it's nothing but net whenever he lets it fly. But, you know, Jaden Shackelford, just, um, you know, just watching him play – like I said, he caught hot against Auburn. He had seven threes in that overtime loss against the Tigers. And then he followed it up on Saturday, you know, when he had five threes against LSU when they upset the LSU Tigers um, not too long ago. And Shackelford was recently named the USBWA Freshman of the Week, which is the U.S. Basketball Writers Association, uh, which, like, he had, you know, a tear, like I mentioned, with against Auburn and LSU. And, you know, in those two games, he had more points than any other major conference freshman in the country where he had 27 points, four and a half rebounds, three assists, and then one and a half steals. So, like I said, many people may not know him throughout the country. I know in this state we know him well, but uh, he is actually from Hesperia, California, so he's not even from the South. But uh, he's making a name for himself, and I, like I said, I just love watching him play. He just, like I said, had that smooth approach to his game where he's never in a hurry, but, man, just – He's he's just fun to watch, and uh, you know, like you you may not. I'm not a homer by any ways, like, like in, or by any means. I should say, you know, I'm an Auburn guy, but like I'm not a homer by any means. So I love watching Jaden Shackelford play. Herb Jones is another one that I enjoy watching play. Like, uh, so you know, I don't mind watching Bama whenever they are on the tube as well. But with Jaden Shackelford is that one that I'm always looking forward to watching. And so, like I said, him uh, receiving freshman of the week honors only help build his brand help him get more recognition but he should definitely come back for another year uh there's no way he should he can maybe test the waters just to get the you know with the evaluators and the nba draft scouts what they may say that he needs to work on but no at all he should not leave for the draft when it comes to june but if he returns for his sophomore season i think he'll have a chance to play into that first round conversation Kind of like Jordan Poole from Michigan, who, you know, he surprised a lot of people by entering the NBA draft. Uh, but, you know, they say he shot the ball so well in workouts that he played himself into the first round. And that's where the Golden State Warriors took him, I believe, with the 28th pick. And the Spurs, my Spurs are 29th, and they were talking about the Spurs loved his, his shooting as well, that if he was available there, it was a chance that the Spurs would take him uh, with that 29th pick. But they took Keldon Johnson, who is lighting it up right now in the G League. So I think if Jaden Shockford returns for his sophomore year, has an excellent year and build on what he's done this year, I think he'll he'll be in that first-round conversation when it comes to next year's NBA draft. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that he doesn't 
like I said, leave and get some bad advice or feel like he's ready for the NBA because I think he needs a little more seasoning uh, in Tuscaloosa. Now, when we return, we're going to close with today's Triple C segment, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Joy FM Sports. It's more than a game. Welcome back to the sweet spot as we prepare to close today's episode with Triple C, Corey's closing comments. And this is what I want to share with you today. You know, life is a teacher and, you know, we learn from our experiences, but we should also help others to learn from our experiences as well, because we never go through life alone. I mean, we all make mistakes. We all get up. We all are knocked down and get back up. Uh, but there's things that happened in our lives where we should learn from them because something my pastor Darius Creighton from back home always said is a wise person learns from other people's mistakes a smart person learns from their own mistakes and a fool learns from neither so we have to learn from our own mistakes but also from what we see from other people as well like I said life is a teacher so you know don't continue to fail that class over and over again in your life and until next time Always remember, there's nothing better than being in the sweet. Stay in the sweet spot for the Joy FM Sports Facebook page. This has been a presentation of the Joy FM Sports. It's more than a game.